It should be more than just a date on the Christian calendar. Palm Sunday, specifically the first Palm Sunday that happened over 2,000 years ago, should carry with it ongoing relevance for our lives, ongoing implications for our lives. I want us to think about that first Palm Sunday, and on this Palm Sunday, I want us to reflect upon what that means for us. So keeping that in mind, would you turn with me to the gospel according to Luke? We're going to take a break from the book of Acts, but we're not taking a break from the writings of Luke. You know, Luke Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote a gospel that bears his name. Luke chapter 19. We're going to begin reading in verse 28. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, truth with no mixture of error. Thank you, choir. Uh, Wonderful song. Wow. Blood of Jesus be my all. When we stand before God one day, we won't be bragging about our accomplishments or what we achieved. We will be throwing ourselves on the mercy and grace of Jesus as we are covered in his blood. Luke chapter uh, 19, verse 28, the Bible says, when he, being Jesus, had said these things, a parable he just shared earlier in the chapter, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away or who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you had known on this day, the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation let's pray together this morning father we pause in this moment to praise your great name. We pause to to rejoice in our relationship with you that is only made possible through Jesus. And we ask that you would, Lord, draw near in these moments. Lord, as I preach, I pray you'd help me to preach in demonstration of the spirit and of power. I pray, Lord, that you would 
Anoint me with your spirit and anoint the hearers with your spirit so that our lives will be changed, so that we will see the truth of Scripture and desire to, to bring our lives into conformity with what your word says. So Lord, would you just have your way? May Jesus continue to be exalted in this place because it's all about him. We ask and pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We are celebrating today uh, the events that happened over 2,000 years ago, the first Palm Sunday, otherwise known as the triumphal entry of Christ, when he entered Jerusalem on that last week before he was crucified. And I want us to think about that first Palm Sunday and extract from that first Palm Sunday some relevance and implications for our lives on this Palm Sunday. And there are three, three things, three admonitions I have for you that, that come straight from the text that hopefully this, this passage will spur us on to. Number one, on this Palm Sunday, I want to call you to marvel at his resolve. Marvel at his resolve. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Going up to Jerusalem. Now I want you to see in that, that Jesus here is displaying great courage. I want you to see the courage of his resolve. Wait, why was this courageous as Jesus goes to Jerusalem? Here's why it was courageous. Jesus knew what was coming, and he went to Jerusalem anyway. Jesus knew that when he arrived in Jerusalem, he would spend some time teaching and doing ministry, but late on Thursday night, early Friday morning, he would be betrayed, arrested, beaten. He knew that his beard would be pulled from his face. He knew that a crown of thorns would be thrust upon his brow. He knew that his back would be flayed open with a cat of nine tails. He knew that a rough wooden beam would be placed on his back as he was ordered to carry it to that hill called Golgotha. He knew that on that mount called Calvary, he would be nailed to a cruel Roman cross. He knew he would hang there from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon. He knew he would die on the cross, bearing the sin and shame and guilt of the world, enduring the wrath of God, taking our punishment. He knew that was coming. And he went to Jerusalem anyway. Matter of fact, the Bible highlights this. Turn back with me to Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 18. It says there in verse 31, on his way to Jerusalem, taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So Jesus clearly understands what is getting ready to transpire, which makes Luke 9, 51 so amazing. Back up to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Let me show you this verse. Because scholars believe that that Luke, by using this phrase, is referring back to an Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah. The Bible says there in Luke 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, He set his face 
to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he resolutely began to journey to Jerusalem where he knew he would suffer and be crucified. And again, scholars believe this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 50 verse 7. In Isaiah 50 verse 7, written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ walked upon the earth, the Bible prophesied that Jesus would set his face like flint. You know, flint's a hard rock. And Jesus, with great resolve, with great steadfastness, would set his face toward Jerusalem and go to that city even though he knew what was coming. The courage of his resolve. Which leads to this question. Why did he go? Well, let me just share with you a couple of reasons for his resolve. The first reason is obedience to the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus Christ was praying, and he was agonizing over what he knew was coming. He wanted the cup to pass from him. He did not want to drink the cup of God's wrath. He was perfect. He never sinned, but he knew that for us to be saved, he would have to take God's wrath in our place. He's agonizing over taking the sins of the world on himself. He's agonizing over enduring the wrath of God for us. And in the garden, he says, take this cup from me. But then he says, but Lord, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus understood that that crucifixion, suffering, bearing the sins of the world was the will of the Father. And he, as the Son of God, perfectly obeyed the will of the Father. So in perfect obedience to his Father, Jesus Christ went to Jerusalem. He set his face like flint. He would not be deterred. He knew what was coming, and he went to Jerusalem anyway. There's another reason that he was so resolved. And I believe it goes back to his desire to fulfill God's promises. God promised humanity way back in Genesis chapter 3 that he was going to provide a redeemer that would be born of a woman who would crush the head of the serpent, giving us victory over him and victory over sin. And Jesus knew that for that prophecy and all the other prophecies and predictions and types and foreshadowings to be fulfilled. He had to go to the cross. In other words, for him to save like God said he was going to save, Jesus had to go to Jerusalem and die. So he is headed to Jerusalem, desiring to fulfill God's promises, desiring to save. Over in Mark 14, 49, when he's arrested, betrayed by the kiss of Judas, Jesus says, let the scriptures be fulfilled. This is all in God's plan, desire to fulfill God's promises. So as we think about the first Palm Sunday on this Palm Sunday in 2016, I want to encourage you just to take a a moment to, to step back from the busyness and the cares of life and just marvel at the fact that Jesus Christ knew what was coming in Jerusalem, but he went to Jerusalem anyway. And ultimately, he went for you and he went for me. He showed great resolve and steadfastness, and I'm so grateful for that. There's a fascinating story about a British explorer named Ernest Shackleton. He led uh, different expeditions to Antarctica and explored that part of the world in the early 1900s. His third 
trip was called the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition. It took place between 1914 and 1917. As they uh, sailed into the, uh, the icy waters around Antarctica, disaster struck when the ship called the Endurance was trapped in pack ice and was slowly being crushed by the ice. And so the men had to get out on the ice and camp out to survive. And then when they were able, they took one of the rescue boats and they, and several of the rescue boats, and they, they sailed to a place called Elephant Island. They got to Elephant Island, they had limited supplies, they were in the harsh conditions of Antarctica, and they knew that eventually they would run out of supplies, eventually they would perish on that island. Well, Ernest Shackleton was a great leader. He didn't want his men to perish. And so he got five other men, and they got in one of the lifeboats, not designed for travel across the sea, and they embarked from Elephant Island, headed to South Georgia, a part of Antarctica, and their goal was to make it to one of the whaling stations to get some help. So they got in this lifeboat, again, not designed for the journey, and they commenced on a stormy ocean voyage of 720 nautical miles, sometimes facing hurricane force winds. And after sailing in those stormy seas for 15 days, they finally made it to South Georgia. They finally landed on the shore, but they were a long way away from a whaling station. And so Shackleton, knowing his men were in peril, took three men from the five, and they journeyed across South Georgia to a whaling station. They traveled 32 miles over mountainous terrain for 36 hours. When they reached the whaling station, they sent a boat to go pick up the other men that had landed, landed on South Georgia. And then Shackleton began to lead efforts to go get the 22 other men he had led, uh, left behind on Elephant Island. They tried three times, but because the ice was so thick, they could not get to those men. But finally, the fourth attempt worked. He hired a, a boat and a crew, and they made it back to Elephant Island, and they rescued those sailors who had been stranded there for four and a half months. Now the question becomes, why did Shackleton show such resolve? Why did he sail across the stormy sea, 700 plus nautical miles in hurricane force winds in a small boat not designed for the journey? Why would he go across uh, across the, the land, mountainous journey, 32 miles in cold, frigid conditions? Why? Because he knew what was at stake. The lives of his men were at stake. And you ask the question, why did Jesus set his face like flint toward Jerusalem? Why did he go to Jerusalem even though he knew what was coming? Because Jesus knew what was at stake. Our salvation was at stake. The glory of God was at stake. The promises of scripture were at stake. And so Jesus showed great steadfastness, great resolve, and he went to Jerusalem for us. So on this Palm Sunday, would you just spend a few moments marveling at his resolve? But there's a second admonition I have for you this morning. Not only do I want to call you to marvel at his resolve, I want to call you to give him the praise he deserves. To give him the praise he deserves. Look back with me in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. It says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. 
where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And so that happens. We'll talk some more about that in a moment. They bring him the colt and he gets on the colt and it says in verse 37, as he was drawing near, drawing near to Jerusalem, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, watch this, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. So on the first Palm Sunday, it says here, the multitude of his disciples were praising him with a loud voice. And I submit to you that on this Palm Sunday, as we think about those events of 2,000 years ago, we should give Jesus the praise that he deserves. Because look what happens in the next verse. Some of the Pharisees, I'm sorry, verse 38, they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're calling you king. They're calling you the son of God. They're saying that you're going to save. They're saying you're the Messiah. You need to stop them because they are speaking untruths. That's what the Pharisees were saying. But look at how Jesus responds in verse 40. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus here is saying, well, listen, if they don't praise me, God's going to make sure I get the praise I deserve. And God can cause rocks to cry out in worship and praise to me. And we learn from this, we're reminded by this, that God is going to make sure that Jesus gets the glory that he deserves. We can choose this room to be people of praise or to neglect to praise him. But whether we praise him or not, listen to me, Jesus is going to be praised, amen? God's going to see to it. And by the way, I don't want a rock doing my job. How about you? I don't want a rock praising Jesus when God has saved my soul, called me out of the darkness into his marvelous light, lifted me from the pits of hell. I don't want a rock to, to, to praise Jesus for me. I want to be the one giving him the glory he deserves. And he's saying here, shut him up, Jesus. Don't let him praise you. And he's saying, listen, I'm worthy of that praise. And if I don't let them praise me, the Father will make sure stones cry out. And so on this Palm Sunday, I want to encourage you to give Jesus the praise he deserves. Say, wait, uh, my, my, my worship has grown kind of dry and lifeless. My heart's not been stirred by Jesus for some time. Can you give me some reasons that I ought to praise Jesus? Well, I'm thrilled that you asked. Because there are some reasons to praise Jesus right here in this text. Let, let me give you four reasons you and I ought to praise Jesus. Number one, Jesus is worthy of praise because of his humility. He's worthy of praise because of his humility. Look what it says in verse 30. Jesus tells his disciples, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untied and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Now, I always found that passage quite amusing. Going to town, if you find a colt, just take him. And if someone says, hey, where are you going with the colt? Say, the Lord has need of it. And they'll say, okay. That's what they did. They found a colt, they take it. Someone said, hey, what are you doing? Lord has need of it. Okay. And they bring the colt to Jesus. Then look what happens next. 
They brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks, verse 35, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. So Jesus is riding on a donkey, and this speaks of his humility. So wait, why does this speak of his humility? Well, he could have ridden a, a great white Roman war horse like the centurions would use. But he's not on a war horse. He's on a donkey. And this speaks directly to the humility of Christ. But how do you know that? Well, hold your place. Turn to Zechariah chapter 9. Old Testament prophet predicts this event with specificity. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, listen to what the Bible says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Now watch this. Humble and mounted on a donkey. In other words, the, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah connects the, the riding of a donkey to his humility. And then he says, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this wasn't even a full-grown donkey. It was a baby donkey. And that's what Jesus is riding in to Jerusalem. And Zechariah says, this choice of transportation speaks to the humility of Jesus Christ. And you and I, ought to be grateful for his humility. That the king of all kings stepped down from the glory and splendor of heaven and took on our humanity and came to live on this earth where he knew he would be mocked, maligned, and mistreated. And even though he knew what was coming, even though he knew the cruelty and the evil that would befall him, Jesus Christ humbled himself and he came anyway for you and for me. The Bible says over Philippians 2 that this humility, the mind of Christ is the same mind we ought to have in us. And it mentions his humility of emptying himself and taking on human flesh and living in obedience to the Father, experiencing even death on a cross. See, Jesus had to lay down his rights and his prerogatives of deity to come to this earth and be our savior. That's humility. Aren't you glad he humbled himself to come for us? And so praise him for his humility. Uh, funny story, uh, I was thinking about this parade, Jesus on the donkey. And I thought about another parade I was involved in when I was in high school. I was in the homecoming parade, but I wasn't in it. Claire was in it. She was elected to homecoming court. I was her boyfriend. So my job was to drive her in the homecoming parade with all the other folks. And in my small town growing up, the kind of the, uh, the way things worked is uh, some folks in town that had nice cars would donate their cars for you to drive in the parade. So one day I went over to this guy's house and I got this Camaro convertible. And I took it and I washed it. I had it shining and I had so much fun driving it. And then in the parade, you know, Claire's on the convertible and I'm driving and I, I felt pretty cool. I really did. Driving that Camaro convertible. We wanted, the, we wanted the best wheels in town for the homecoming parade. But here in this text, the king of kings humbles himself and rides a donkey. Sang to a watching crowd and sang to us that he humbled himself. He laid down his rights so he could be our savior. So in this text, praise him because he's worthy of praise. 
because of his humility. Secondly, Jesus is worthy of praise because of his power. Look what it says in verse 37 of Luke 19. The Bible says, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Why? Look at the next phrase. For all the mighty works that they had seen. And so as Jesus comes riding into town, the multitude of his disciples are praising him for his power. They're saying, praise Jesus, the one who turned water into wine. Praise him, the one who took the meager rations of a little boy and fed thousands of people. Praise be to the one who suspended the laws of nature and walked on the water. Praise to the one who simply spoke to the storm and the storm stopped. Praise to the one who gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and caused the lame to leap. Praise to the one who stood by the tomb of his good friend Lazarus and at the bedside of Jairus' daughter and called the dead back to life. The people were praising him for his amazing displays of power. And I submit to you that Jesus is worthy of your praise and worthy of my praise because of his power. He's the one with power over the demonic realm. He's the one with power over disease. He's the one with the power over nature. He's the one ruling and reigning in the universe. He deserves our praise. So Jesus is worthy of our praise because of his power. Next, Jesus is worthy of our praise because he is royalty. Look what it says in verse 38. They were saying as they praised him, blessed is the king. Other gospels record that on this day, during the triumphal entry, that people were saying, blessed be the son of David. They were clearly connecting Jesus to the Old Testament Davidic covenant where God appeared to David and said, David, I'm going to give you some descendants, and one of your descendants will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. So when the people said, blessed is the king, the son of David, they were saying, you are the one who has fulfilled that promise to David. You are the king who will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus is worthy of praise because he is royalty. Listen to me. Jesus is not just a king. He's the king of all kings. And he is seated on his throne. The Bible says in Ephesians, the earth is his footstool. He is ruling and reigning over the created order. And one day he's coming back and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming. That day is coming. He is king. And the people recognize that. Blessed is the king. Do we recognize that? That Jesus is royalty and he deserves our praise. But there's one final reason I want to give you that Jesus is worthy of praise. And this is not exhaustive, by the way. These are just from the text. Jesus is worthy of praise because he saves. Now, it's interesting. Luke doesn't record this. The other three gospels do. That when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this day, 
Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, that people in the crowd were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You know what the word Hosanna means? The word Hosanna simply means, oh, save. So as Jesus comes riding into town, the multitude of the disciples, it says, were crying out, oh, save. Oh, save. Oh, save. They were crying out the very purpose, the very reason for his entry into Jerusalem. He was coming to suffer and to die and to be buried and to be resurrected so he could be our savior. And you and I ought to praise him because he saves. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Why would we let a rock do our job for us? Amen? Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, wrote his first hymn, listen to this, three days after his conversion. Three days. You know what his first hymn was? It goes like this. Oh, four thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Three days after his conversion, he wrote a song like that because he could not get over what Jesus had done for him and he gave him praise. And so on this Palm Sunday, I want to encourage you to give Jesus the praise that he deserves. But there's a a final, final thought I want to leave with you. On this Palm Sunday, we want to marvel at his resolve. We want to give him the praise he deserves. But third and last... We want to be moved by his compassion and with his compassion. Look what the Bible says in verse 41. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. So we see in this scene, Jesus pauses, looking over the broad expanse of that city. And he weeps. Now here's the question. Why does Jesus weep? First reason, Jesus wept because of his desire for their salvation. He wanted the people of Jerusalem, the the Jewish people, the religious leaders and the the others that followed the religious leaders. He wanted them to, to come to him and recognize he's the Messiah. He wanted to save them. Look what it says over in Matthew 23. Hold your place. Turn to Matthew 23. Jesus, in Matthew 23, 37, is lamenting over Jerusalem in a, in a like manner. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus desired to save the Jewish people in that city, the Jewish leaders. He desired to save them, but they rejected him. They did not uphold him as the Messiah. And Jesus wept because they had rejected him. There's a second reason he weeps. Jesus wept because he knew the consequences of their rejection. He knew the consequences of their rejection. Look what it says back in Luke 19. 
He says, for the days will come upon you, verse 43, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation, because you did not recognize the Messiah was among you. Devastating judgment is coming. And most scholars believe this refers to the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman Empire in AD 70 where they came in and destroyed the temple and the magnificent buildings and killed thousands upon thousands of Jews. And Jesus is saying, because of your rejection, there is judgment coming. And Jesus wept over that reality. And so as we think about Palm Sunday, we've got to think about his compassion. Jesus wept. But listen to me. What does that mean for us in this room? You and I we should desire to live and minister with that same compassion. And let me ask you a question, and listen to me, I've had to ask myself the same question. When was the last time you wept over someone far from God? Did you think about people in your life that you know that are lost When's the last time you shed a tear over their spiritual condition? So think about our nation, which is obviously going in the wrong direction. Yes, we are upset about what's going on in the political realm and all of that. But what about the spiritual condition of our nation? Does it make you weep that by and large our nation has turned its back to God? And we are experiencing and are going to experience in the coming days devastating judgment. When's the last time you wept over the reality that there are over 2 billion people in our world who are lost and headed for an eternity in hell who've never even heard the name of Jesus? We have this good news. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the grave. He loves and desires to save, but there are so many in our world who've never even heard the message. Does that stir your heart? Does that break your heart? As we think about Palm Sunday, we've got to think about the compassion of Christ. He wept over Jerusalem. And we should seek to to be moved with that same compassion. I read a story about a pastor who had been newly appointed to a church in the inner city. He was standing in his office, he was looking out the window at the tragic condition of that city. This pastor was weeping as he saw the devastating effects of sin just out his window. A church member walked in the room And he saw this pastor was weeping, looking over the city. He said, don't worry, pastor, soon you'll get used to it. And that pastor said, that's why I'm weeping. Because I know that soon I'll just get used to this. And it won't break my heart anymore. May our hearts be broken for a lost and dying world the same way that Jesus' heart was broken over Jerusalem. The compassion 
of Christ. And so as we celebrate this date on the Christian calendar, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, let's marvel at his resolve. And let's be moved by his compassion and with his compassion. And let's give him the praise that he deserves. And let me sum that up with just one sentence. This is kind of the point of the entire message. Jesus is amazing. And he deserves a triumphal entry into every human heart. Jesus is amazing and he deserves a triumphal entry into every human heart. And so the question is, this morning, here in this room, does Jesus amaze you? Are you amazed by his power and his grace and his humility and his royalty? Are you amazed by his resolve? Are you amazed by his compassion? Jesus is amazing. We sang a song a little bit earlier. And every time I sing it, I get convicted. This one line in Revelation's song. Because when I'm singing, I'm asking myself, do I really mean what I'm singing? The line goes like this. Filled with wonder. Awestruck wonder at the very mention of your name. And I think, is that where I am? That I'm filled with wonder at the very mention of the name of Christ? And then I think, God, do that in my life. Help me to be amazed by Jesus because he deserves to be crowned Lord and King in my heart. He deserves a triumphal entry into every human heart. He is worthy.